This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 374 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined by Dave Verwer in near Manchester. Let's leave it at that. That's close enough, yeah. Hi Tim, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So I was actually going to talk about the mispronunciations of our last names. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I, my last name is Mitra, but people say Mitch, Mitra, Mitra. I've heard Mitchell, I've uh-huh. heard all kinds of other things. And, and you, I've heard your name pronounced a number of different ways. So, so for the audience. I've heard them all, yeah. <laughs> and so, so what is the correct pronunciation? Oh, the correct pronunciation is just, it's exactly as it's uh, spelled, which is just Verwa. Um, and, but everyone mixes up the V and the W in the middle. Um, uh, and, and that's the most common mispronunciation. I've also seen every possible spelling of it, which is, <laughs> there are some wonderful ones. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the genesis of the name? Like, where does it come from? Um, it's Dutch, actually. Oh, okay, um, cool. So we, we don't have any uh, f- current um, kind of relations in uh, in the Netherlands, but um, but a few generations back, uh, well, of course we do, but I, we're just not in, in touch with them, of course. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it was a few generations back that, that the family came over um, here. Um, when I was younger, my grandmother did a search to see if there were any other Verwas in the UK, and at the time there weren't, but I'm sure that's changed now. Have you have you done the ancestry DNA thing at all, or have you interested in that? I haven't actually. Although um, uh, my dad was talking about something similar the other day, so I think he may be just about to get the the, the bug to do that. Right. Yeah. So I did that because you know I'm I'm I always thought I was half Indian, quarter Irish, quarter English. I was born in in um, St Albans in the UK, and that's why I have this crazy accent. I came over here when oh, I was my, six. My dad actually talking of my dad. My dad grew up in St Albans. <laughs> oh no way. Yeah. Well, my my parents. Uh, my dad was my my dad. And my mum were, were living there for uh, a couple of years because two of us were born there, and then off to off to London and on on to I- India and then to Canada. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Genesis thing. Yeah. So so I so I did my. my my um, my ancestry stuff, and my wife is my wife is half Irish as well. So we were in Ireland in twenty twenty one, I think, and twenty twenty two actually beginning of twenty twenty two. And um, so I've been following my ancestry stuff because the D- the DNA result was that I'm um, mostly Indian, but like a little bit of Scottish, a little bit of Irish, and there's some people from right. the mainland that that came over. And I was surprised to find out that my I always thought my my aunt, grandmother Anne Williams was Irish by birth but she was by birth but her father was actually from scotland and so curran is the actual irish line that i'm descended from so it was kind of interesting to find that out and um like our whole my mother's brother's family and her moved over here so i don't have any direct relatives in uh the uk Mm -hmm. i shouldn't say that my my nephew tim lives in bath right now but um but he's from Ottawa. But yeah, so that's that's sort of my. It's sure. interesting. It's interesting to sort of figure out where you come from, and and you know, I think uh, at this, I guess, as you get on in age, you want to figure out where where people <laughs> came from and that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about is is so I've uh, I've recently been laid off. I was working as an engineering manager for the last couple of years. But before going into working uh, full time, I, I did that because of the indie apocalypse. You know, the, the the collapse of the indie indie culture when the you know the prices of apps came down in 2015, and all of us had to go scramble looking for full time work. Right. Um, uh-huh. So I'm back to I'm back to being an indie developer. So I'm kind of curious, like you on your moniker, on your your social networking, on your blogs and stuff. You describe yourself as an indie, and so I'm kind of curious, like how do you see the the life of an indie developer these days? So it's interesting. I do describe myself as, uh, and maybe I do describe myself as an independent developer, even. But um, a lot of what I've done as that independent, it, to me, I think the reason I wrote that is more more the independent than the independent developer because i have never um supported myself off apps on the store that has not been something that i i ever kind of went down that route i had some experiments with it we we did some apps we you know we've had apps in fact i have an app on the store right now but it's but it doesn't it's a free app um but what instead 
I I do is a lot of stuff around independent developers, and so I I guess I describe myself as 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 one of the group, even though uh, I don't have I don't actually earn my money through um, selling that you know a piece of software or something like that. So right. when I first started out as being independent, I um, I did do some apps, but the money came in from running training courses and consulting and that kind of stuff, and um, and so. As my career kind of progressed through, I stayed independent, um, but um, uh, but it was less around the kind of the indie apps. I guess, yeah. I guess I'm I'm an imposter independent. Well, developer. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think I think it's just another way of saying like you're almost like an entrepreneur. I use as you mentioned consultant. So do you do you do contract work? Is that how you sort of pay the bills? I have done, yeah. Um, and um, then iOS Dev Weekly uh, brings in um, the majority of my income, actually. The, the oh, advertising nice. in uh, iOS Dev Weekly is, uh, is, uh, uh, is the majority of my kind of income into being independent. And again, I do that independently, and that's more, but that's more writing about development rather than doing it. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think, well, I mean, the reason why we do more than just code is is the three of us want to share our knowledge with the community, right? So it's sort of a giving back to the community kind of thing. Well, let's, let's I'll come back to iOS Dev Weekly in a few minutes. But um, so sure. tell us about, tell us about your, your sort of, how did you get into iOS? Where, like, did you study computer science? How did you get to being a developer? I did. Um, yeah, so I did um, a software engineering degree at university um and came out of that and got a job at a local uh uh, kind of uh, well actually it wasn't local to where i was but it was it was it's local to where i am now um so i I moved to uh as i say kind of back to near manchester which is where i grew up um and got a job and that was um so this was 96 when i graduated so we're going back a, a, a little way um and the iphone was was certainly not a thing back then um and I did a lot of actually Microsoft technology development for the beginning part of my career. Um, started off uh, doing a lot of Ball and Delphi, which um, I still have a very fond uh, place in my heart for Ball and Delphi. It was a it was an amazing uh, tool. Um, and then through the Microsoft stack and into web development with the Microsoft um, uh, various Microsoft technologies, C sharp that kind of thing. Um, and then I kind of got interested in Rails when that first popped up so really right. early rails like 0.5 yeah, 0.6 yeah. rails like yeah. something like that yeah and um it was a it was an interesting technology i was also getting a little um tired of where i was in my career at that point and uh and the stars aligned a little bit and i i I've decided well i'm going to start doing some rail stuff and i learned it on my own in kind of in my spare time um and the there were a couple of pieces of software actually that made me try uh, a mac um and that was um you may remember um the very famous um david heinemeyer hansen demo when he launched up textmate and built a blog with rails in like three minutes or something like that Mm. um it was a it was a video that you know a lot of people saw it at the time it was a great demo really great demo um and actually what stood out he didn't talk about textmate but textmate really shone in that demo um and then i was at a conference uh, a little while later uh, it was e-tech conference in san diego and i walked into the room in this uh, in this conference and everybody well first of all everyone had a mac which was not something i was used to seeing mm-hmm. and as i was sitting in the audience i noticed that everybody was collaboratively editing conference notes um, right. and so i started chatting with one of the people who was next to me. I said, hey, what's, what's even going on? <laughs> you know, um, And it was sub-Ether Edit, which y- right. you may remember yep. um, uh, is a kind of Bonjour-compatible um, editor. And I, before I even left San Diego, I'd gone to the Apple Store and bought a MacBook Pro. Wow. Um, wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there were a few reasons. It was a, it was a Ruby and Rails ran better on... Uh, OS 10 than it did on Windows, um, and then the the tooling and the the kind of environment around it, and they just switched to Intel. So this was this was actually 2006 when I did this, um, or maybe late 2005, whenever the first Intel uh, ones ca- came out. Um, and I, th- I think my MacBook Pro was like week two of production of the Intel MacBook Pros, like it was right at the beginning. On the bleeding edge. And I edge, kind of yes. figured, well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it did actually. The, 
the battery did explode at one point. <laughs> um, um, but um, I remember thinking, well, if if it all if this experiment doesn't work, it's an Intel machine. I'm sure I'll be able to install Windows on it. Um, yeah. And never tried uh, and, and never looked back, really. So so that was a rather long-winded answer to the question, but a kind of an indirect through path through to um, uh, Apple development, because once I had that machine, I then started looking at, oh, what's this Objective-C thing? Let's see if I can make an app, and started to write a Mac application, and then the iPhone got announced and... The rest is here. Right, right. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you how, how the, how you got into iOS specifically, but I guess you just answered that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was curiosity. You know, I, I, I had never heard of Objective C before getting the machine and and looked at Xcode. It was Xcode three at the time, right. so the one yeah. that still had all the different windows. Yep. Um, and I, I, I was curious about it. I had been a C developer, you know, uh, earlier in my career. Um. And so I knew a little bit of C, Objective C. It kind of it was okay. It was your cousins, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I I picked it up reasonably quickly, and um, and then yeah, I loved it. Really loved it. Cool. Yeah, now, I, it's interesting. You mentioned a couple of couple of signposts there for me. Is that um, I mean, I was I've been a Mac user for forever, and and for the longest time, probably about the first you know until the iPhone came out, and maybe a few years after that, it wasn't super popular to be a mac guy in a in a windows environment i mean i did i did my my stints as as i was working as a consultant so i I did my stint supporting windows nt and you know suffering through 95 and all that but i all the while being a mac user and and you know and suffering abuse from people and when you start when you mentioned 96 that was kind of um the return of Steve Jobs era and and uh, you know Apple being for sale for I mean Sun was going to buy them mm-hmm. for like five hundred million dollars or something ridiculous and all that kind of I wish yep. I'd bought stock back then to be honest with you um, but uh, you know the, the for me the the iPhone I mean I had read Dave Mark's book on on um, C on the Mac and uh, I'd learned all that kind of stuff and and uh, working uh, working in classic Mac was a little little daunting. I'm curious, like, did you ever get anywhere with that Mac app you wrote, or did you? How far did you get into it? Where you were writing? Um, we released it and and it was uh, it, it it did okay. Um, yeah. It was actually I, I saw an app that that does had almost exactly the same functionality um, uh, just a, a short while ago. Um, so the app was called Speakerpedia, mm-hmm. um, and it was a uh, an app that would um, grab the text from a Wikipedia page, pass out, get rid of all the tables, get rid of everything that wasn't, you know, the, the copy, um, and use the text-to-speech to turn it into a podcast that you could then sync into your iTunes. So it was nice. still the old cable syncs at that point, but, um, but it would make you little podcasts, and it would put, split them into sec- chapters with each section of the page so you could listen to um wikipedia articles um and yeah we we took that through to release um and um and it did great and that was before the iphone we started that before the iphone got developed got announced right um but i think we released it just after the announcement so it it kind of spanned that period of yeah 2007 uh, the iphone was um, announced 2007 right yeah 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 uh, so we are you an old do you consider yourself an old school podcaster in that sense or did you did you do any podcasting back in the early days uh no the, the uh, it was only through text to speech at that point <laughs> and did it actually, I, did I, it, I do now do a podcast oh do you what's your podcast? sorry go on no mm-hmm. no what, tell me what you're talking um about. so we we have a, a podcast for the swift package index where we talk about oh, the okay. development uh of whatever we're working on at the moment and we also recommend uh packages from around the community so uh but that's only been going for the last year and a bit something like that so that's a good segue let's let's talk about swift package manager for a minute because because you know um we as you may or may not know on, on more than just code we we occasionally like the three of us have a pick or two that we we kind of at the end of the show we kind of talk about and i know swift package Ma- the swift package index has been uh one of our picks of mine maybe jaime picked it um so we've been following that's you great. along and 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 it's it's almost like i think it's official now with with swift.org maybe why don't you tell us a little bit about swift package manager how it got started and and where it is and, and again sure like thing. our show you kind of bootstrap that you brought that up yourself right right yeah so so actually swift package index um is is almost the second iteration of 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 what we uh, what I've I've built around that. Um, so it started in 2019. Um, I 
was thinking about Swift Package Manager, and at the time it didn't support iOS uh, applications. Mm. Um, and but I could see that that was coming. Like all the the ducks were aligning in a row um, to. It was it was very obvious that it was one day. Of course, it was going to one day support iOS applications. Why would it exist if if that was not the, the eventual plan? And at the time, of course, CocoaPods was entirely, um, well, actually not not entirely dominant because there was Carthage and uh, you know Git submodules. But but CocoaPods was certainly the kind of industry uh, standard. It was the standard, yeah. Um, and they had or still have a kind of search engine. As part of CocoaPods, but I kind of saw, like, oh, if Package Manager is going to come in and if it gains any traction, that's going to be a tricky thing to manage. So maybe the Package Manager needs its own search engine. Um, And I put together what I now call a prototype, really, because it was, at the time, I I considered it fully featured. but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, But now, looking back, it was definitely just a prototype of something that um, downloaded Package Git repositories, passed out the manifest, g- grabbed some metadata out of it, put it in a database, and let um, the, the uh, you know a, a client um, kind of query that database. So that was called Swift PM Library, and that was launched uh, in 2019, uh, and that was actually written with uh, with Rails. Um, so oh, wow. uh, written in Ruby, uh, running on Rails, um, and. Because that was my most comfortable server environment. I, sure. I've, I've done a lot of Objective-C and Swift development on the client, but my go-to for server-side development was always um, was always Rails. Rails because that yep. was what I knew, and it was it's a great. I love it. It's a great framework. I still uh, still enjoy Rails. Um, and then um, that kind of launched, and it was it was fine. Um, but I was aware that if if it was going to become something bigger than just me working on this little kind of side project on my own that open source would be a good idea and if it's going to be open source in the swift community it really has to be written in swift because it's going to be challenging to um to run an open source project that is a swift package index with Ruby. a backend that isn't written in swift yeah and so yeah <laughs> um contributions would be few and far between i think with that uh, situation um so i started talking to a couple of the vapor people um and um started kind of learning it a little bit and then got an email from um sven schmidt who i didn't know at the time and he uh had developed a tool called arena which um was uh well still is a uh a, a library that can uh take a swift package and create a playground around that swift package with the package already imported so that you can just open that playground up and start testing the swift package oh, you know cool just yeah an easy way to do that process right and he was just out of the it was out of the blue kind of email to me um, and said, "Seeing what you've done with Swift PM Library, um, I'd, I'd like to propose a feature for it, which is next to each package, could would you add a button that would launch the Arena process to kind of test the package, right?" And we jumped on a quick call and um, got chatting, uh, and and out of that kind of I was talking about my thoughts around maybe making it a Vapor application, maybe rewriting it in Swift, and uh, we got on and we started to uh, work on that together. Um, and so the Swift Package Index, which was, it's an entirely new project. The prototype is long gone. You know, mm-hmm. it's not even worth talking about anymore. Um, so the, the Swift Package Index is very much a joint uh, uh, development um, from both myself and Sven. Mm-hmm. And then I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's sort of been recognized as, as the sort of standard with the Swift org folks or is that correct yeah so um we've been working um uh, recently with apple to um actually uh, integrate uh, some metadata from the swift package index into uh the swift.org site and if you go to swift.org slash packages uh, mm. there's now a page there that will have some package um links on a rotating monthly basis and that will get autom- automatically updated over time and in fact that whole process is also community driven so we're going to uh, in fact we already have the thread up and running and there's details on that page if, if anyone's interested um where the community can suggest packages that are either talked about in 
public, like on podcasts or on blogs or newsletters or whatever, or if you just really like a package and would like to recommend uh, that people check it out, then uh, once a month we're going to refresh that list of packages from community uh, suggestions, and there's a Swift forums thread where where that's all being gathered. Um, so that's the most recent um, uh, uh, integration with, with Swift, but... Um, we also uh, secured some funding and support from Apple um, probably just over a year ago now. I'm actually mixing my dates up. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly. I just think it's about a year ago. <laughs> the reason I asked that question is because I, I believe it was a pick by one of us uh, when we heard that. Uh, we saw an announcement. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I, I knew there was an Apple association. That's cool. Congratulations on that officially. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it feels like um, it feels it feels great to see Apple support a community project first of all, um, and and if I'm 100 percent honest, I we really needed it because this like an open source project. There are lots of different types of open source projects, and open source funding is a is a complicated um, topic that we definitely can't uh, cover completely today. Right, but. Even within the scope of open source software and making open source software sustainable, um, there's a difference between a library that might get compiled into an application and uh, and if there's a bug found in it, then sure, people can report an issue and people will do work. And that is very, very valuable work. But there's a difference between that and having a live site that needs to stay up 24 hours a day. Right, right. Um, and it was really... It really it, the Swift Package Index demands... A lot of our time and we were struggling to make that balance uh, work um so it, yeah. yeah i mean I, I obviously you know i i spent the last year working with Swift package manager because of my my day job and you know I, i've started using it a lot more in my own work um obviously having had to deal with Co uh, cocoa pods and Carthage before so it's it's kind of nice to have sort of a, a native apple apple centric kind of approach to doing it oh. although there's nothing wrong with cocoa pods i guess but um yeah, so you mentioned in your in your little uh, discussion there a minute ago um, the newsletter. So let, let's let's talk about iOS Dev Weekly. That's another thing that I think a lot of people would know you from or should know. Sure you thing. From. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, that's been going a long time now. It's coming up on uh, thirteen uh, years wow. to uh, since I yeah since I started uh, writing iOS Dev Weekly and um, uh, every Friday for thirteen years. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, so uh, I mean I do I do take uh, I do take a week off at, at uh, over the kind of Christmas New Year period, uh, but apart from that, it's been every Friday. Um, so that was started when I was doing a lot of training. So I ran training courses um, and and that kind of stuff for a little while. It was back in the Objective C days. That was 2011, mm -hmm. and um, I think there was a couple of reasons behind creating that. I partly I really enjoyed. Um, a newsletter, another newsletter which is still going today, which is called Ruby Weekly, um, hmm. and that's written by Peter Cooper, um, and it was a great format. It was, you know, here's ten links on the very specific subject that you might find interesting every week. Great, great idea. Um, and I'm not saying Peter's the first one that came up with that. I'm, you know, these, this, it's not, it's hardly a unique idea, right? But, but he did and continues to do it really well, um, and. I I had met Peter a couple of times, and I, I think I dropped him an email saying I'm planning to do an iOS version of this, um, and we we had a quick chat back and forth, and um, uh, and I thought, well, I can't find one for iOS, so maybe I can make one for iOS um, right. because it was something that I was really interested in, and, and was already reading all of the blogs and all of the stuff myself. So I thought, well, I can, I think I can do this. Um, so started it really very. Without without a lot of preparation, signed up for a Mailchimp account, made a one-page site that had a uh, that had a sign-up form uh, on it, mm -hmm. and then wrote an issue and sent it out. I think the whole thing, start to finish, was like ten days or something like that. It was, yeah, I'm going to do this. Oh, I've done it. Okay, <laughs> what next? Yeah. And then next, <laughs> I'm week, you do it next again, week. And you be after you're that. serious? And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and certainly wasn't it? W certainly wasn't intended to be a money-making vehicle or anything like that i did have kind of a thought that if it was successful maybe i could promote like training courses through it but hmm. that was not why i started it i started it because i thought it was an interesting thing to do and i thought people might 
like it and and they did and it grew really quickly um and uh and yeah it's still over the years i have focused more effort on writing original stuff for it so i include a comment every week that whatever i find interesting or whatever's on my mind that will go into uh into the comment for the week um in fact just earlier today i was starting to work on tomorrow so because Mm. there is one due tomorrow um and um yeah it's kind of grown from there and uh it's been opened an enormous number of doors for me uh and as i say now you know generates uh income too Cool. Yeah, no, I, I do read the, uh, I don't read it regularly, but I do read it. And, I, and I've noticed there's a, there seems to be a popular, um, I guess, be, during the pandemic, a lot of, a lot of newsletters have started up in a similar format, right? So, but, it, but, and it, it's funny because your, your newsletter is very similar to our, our own podcast. Again, we'd started it just because we wanted to sh- share insights with people and we were too lazy to write a book, which is why we started podcast. Right. And, uh, you know, and it's funny because some of the stories you talk, cause you must, you must sort of follow the same things. A lot of times the, the stories we would talk about on more just code would be the same things you would have in your <laughs> newsletter, which was interesting. And, you know, occasionally we'd find things through your newsletter too. So thank you for that. I think it's great that that you know that's part of part of part of the reason you know why we want to share this kind of information with people is is just to better everybody right and and so thank you on behalf of the community for for doing this regardless of getting paid or not it's a great service every time someone says that to me I I say thank you for you know producing the stuff because if I if I hadn't had people to link to then I wouldn't have started it so um um and I I love I love kind of sending people out to other people's blogs i think that's really important and that's something that's carried through to um as i say with the um, swift package indexing podcast um uh, a big part of that was we wanted to share people's packages that they have Mm -hmm. been working on um and 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 spreading that inside the community is really important to me and and it is just fun as well well, I can tell you, like, uh, I've, I've talked to Ray Renderlich about this, and I write for him occasionally, and, and we, I think we both sort of right. started from the same point in time when, if you wanted to do something, you had to scour the internet to try and see if somebody had written something similar. And it, a lot of, and because back in the early days of iOS, uh, there was no, you know, documentation was there on, Apple's documentation was pretty good, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't, it was a lot better than it is today, i got to say. But, um it was tough to put together an idea, like if you wanted to have notifications or you wanted to have, I can't think of any, any feature right now, but we would scour, like my <laughs> attitude was for coming from PHP and, and Ruby and stuff was somebody must have done this already. So let's, let's scour the right. internet, see if we can find, and it was tough to find answers. And that's how I stumbled across Ray and his website. And now, you know, it's grown into Kodako and right. all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, I think, I think it's important to do that. I do, I do want to touch on, um, the uh, the dev directory too. That's another sort of open source thing that you do, and and thank you for that because it's sure, another, yeah. a, a great place. To, like there are many lists, you know, top ten this and top ten that and whatever. Uh, those are sort of uh, um, uh, what do you call those? Uh, um, you know, where they, they they trap you with a link or whatever. You know, it's not the right term for for it. Uh, link. Jaime has the best word for it. I can't remember what it is. But but on the iOS dev <laughs> uh, directory, you have listed blogs you've listed podcasts thanks for thanks for letting us add our podcasts in there um and again packages and so, so tell us tell the audience a little bit about the ios dev directory and and what's there what they can find and how they can get involved of course yeah so the ios dev directory um and the reason i'm smiling is because uh, I, I always it always makes me kind of laugh when i when i tell the story um it was basically me open sourcing my um rss feed <laughs> workflow mm. um so obviously for many many years i had been building a set of rss feeds that i was following of people in the community because that's generally how i find um articles to link to in the newsletter so it was really important to me to have a way to keep up with the community in a in a manageable way and rss i still love rss it's 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 a a terrible shame that it's not as well used as it is uh, as it once was um because the beauty of it is it doesn't matter if somebody takes a break from producing whatever they're producing that rss feed is going to stay silent and quiet and not get in anyone's way and at the point where that person decides to start up again it's there and waiting it's a it's there's nothing like it social media definitely doesn't do that job um and um and so I'm, i've always been a great um uh, fan of uh, rss but obviously that set of um feeds was just you know, collected by me over time and it wasn't shared anywhere. And I thought, well, maybe um, I can 
solicit contributions of RSS feeds so that mm -hmm. I find new people to follow without necessarily having to, you know, come across them. Um, and potentially that list might be useful to other people. But if I'm honest, the main reason was to to get contributions into my set of RSS feeds. Right, okay. And of course, I made it open from day one. Right. But actually, the reason I did it was because I, I wanted to, to find more people to follow. Um, so um, it was also something that I, I wanted to um, make that data file of all of the, the feeds um, public so that... Um, um, the, the way that I approached that was um, made it a JSON file, put it in a public open source repository and allowed people to uh, add pull requests. And um, I think, in fact, if I just load up the site for a second, um, there have been 836 merged pull requests to wow. that site now. Um, so that's been going, I think it started in 2017, maybe. Um, and... Uh, yeah, eight hundred and something pull requests, and in fact, at the moment, we're we're one um, site away from a thousand uh, total uh, sites on that platform. So, if you have a site that isn't there, uh, you could be the thousandth site. I'd, I'd love to announce that there was a big prize for being the thousandth site, but there isn't. There isn't. No, no free vision pro. Over there. <laughs> no free vision pro on this uh, in this uh, occasion, unfortunately. So, you're um, a thousand sites, but, listed, or you're a thousand because I mean, it's not just it's not just it's it's packages, it's developers, it's podcasts, it's a whole different slew of things, right? Everything except packages. Um, so, uh, it's it's blogs, it's newsletters, it's podcasts, it's um, YouTube channels, it's Twitch streams. Mm. If it's related to Swift or Apple platform development, it's welcome uh, there. And there's no uh, kind of a committee of people choosing who gets on there. Everybody gets on there. If you submit uh, a site and it has an RSS feed and it relates in some way to Swift or Apple platform development, it will be merged. Um, uh, it will. We have company blogs as well as individual blogs, so it's really it, it is um, it is very open and, and, and not restrictive with what gets merged at all. And um, and then my RSS process is entirely automated off that site. So that site publishes OPML files, again, mm -hmm. publicly. Um, and I have an RSS service that can subscribe to an OPML file. So not just the feeds, but if the, op if the underlying OPML changes, it also automatically subscribes or removes from any site in that OPML file. Um, and that's my feed reader. That's a, that's, oh, so that's how you find out what's going on in there or keep track of it or yeah so i subscribe to all all the opml files actually not quite all of them because um the site has multiple languages and i unfortunately only speak uh one um so i only subscribe to the english language ones oh, just I because see. i can't consume cool. the other ones <laughs> uh but uh, but yeah I, I subscribe to all those mm -hmm. so another little side thing or two is is, is uh, right now just at this point in time in in fall of 2023 uh it's there's a real dirge on trying to find work as an iOS engineer, and I know that you have part of part of the Dev Weekly newsletter, and I think you have a site where you you people I've posted positions there myself when I was when I was hiring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that, is that sort of another offshoot of or a service that you provide, I guess, to the community, right? It is, yeah. So um, I started getting through iOS Dev Weekly. I started getting companies try. Well, not try. They did. They used the sponsorship slot in iOS Dev Weekly to advertise mm. positions, and this was this was a few years ago. Um, now, um, and over time, there was that demand there for people trying to publicize their roles that they had open. And then I added a section to the newsletter that was, you know, jobs, and it would add a few jobs every week. And um, and eventually, I kind of spun that out into a separate project, which is called iOS Dev Jobs. And that feeds jobs through into the newsletter, of course, but it's also its own thing. You can subscribe to a newsletter on iOS Dev Jobs and only get the jobs um, uh, if you'd like to. So, yeah, I I certainly have um, seen in the last year. It was, I would say, it was doing very well in right the way up to the end of last year, hmm. and then this year has has been uh, there's been a noticeable drop in available uh, positions. And of course, I only see. A small uh, amount of them, uh, but but it's a noticeable drop. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a metric you can look at, and you can. It's interesting to hear that. It's it's a tough time to find work right. as, a, as a, if you're looking for work. Anyway, anyway, um, 
So as an independent um, contributor or creator of content, like I'm, I'm curious about the whole sponsorship side of things. Like how do you, how do you find sponsors for your, your various ventures? Yeah. So um, like I say, when I started iOS Dev Weekly, it was not with the intention of, of making it into a money-making uh, uh, project. Um, but as it grew in popularity fairly quickly, I started getting companies approaching me saying, do you accept sponsorship? And I, for, for a, fair while um maybe like a year i said no i don't hmm. but every time i got one of those emails i kept uh, i kept a note of the person's uh, name and email address uh, because i thought well it's potentially going to happen at some point um and so when i decided to start accepting the sponsorship um i had a little pool of people who i could reach out to and say are you still interested in doing that because now i am considering taking sponsorship um and that worked really well because the challenge of, of accepting, a starting to expect, accept sponsorship for something is that you need to show that it works from the beginning. And at the beginning, you don't know that it works because nobody's done it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you've got a chicken and an egg situation of like, well, I can't yet prove it. I can give general statistics or something like that, but I can't yet prove that it works in this context. And I had enough people sign up for initial sponsorships that I could then prove that it worked and mm. uh ever since then um with a couple of very uh isolated instances the, the sponsorship has been entirely inbound so companies email me i have a an inquiry form on the website um which people find and fill in uh but then also lots of repeat sponsors and um uh and yeah it's it's full uh in, in fact it's full the calendar is full until the end of 2024 well that's great Great. Cool. So, right. Yeah. It's, I'm sure it's something that, that you know, fellow podcasters and, and people who want to do newsletters and things like that will, would want to know. Like, is there, how do you find out? Uh, I went, I recently went to a, um, we have a thing called Hot Docs here, which is a documentary publishing thing. They have a podcast version of it. And I went there and I was telling uh, one of the speakers about our numbers in terms of who listens to more than just code. And she was, a, she was, a, that's amazing for an independent podcast. I'm like, really? I thought it was, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was great, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah you never know. that's great yeah yeah um so i do i, I do want to just sort of get a general sense of of you as as being an industry pundit um sort of your perspective on where the ball is going with apple how do you how do you feel about uh where we are in 2020 coming up in 2024 what we're seeing in ios what we're seeing in mac os devices hardware what, what do you how do you see apple these days I mean, I think I, I don't. So I don't. In terms of punditry, I don't often talk about hardware. But I. But but, but what I will say is, um, I think the current Apple hardware lineup is exceptional. The mm -hmm. M series chips are just out of this world. Phones are great. iPads are great. Vision Pro coming along the horizon. You know, it's that side of the business is just absolutely. I, I have I have no notes for them. <laughs> They're right. doing great. Carry on. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah but I, but that's not really something i've uh, from the beginning of talking about the industry in the newsletter i i decided i didn't really want to get involved in the kind of rumor cycle so right like i don't talk about anything that isn't released i don't i i and not because i don't feel i can it's just i don't really i don't really follow it i don't really want to talk about that kind of side of the things um and uh and I tend to limit myself to the the software side as well. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think? What do you think about iPad OS, iOS, Vision OS? What do you think about the yeah. state of the application? Again, I think the platforms are doing great at the moment. It, they are they are so mature and pleasant to use. I think you know, there's obviously always criticism from somebody. You know, something changed and somebody doesn't like it. And I, I know there was a big kind of. Um, thing a couple of years ago when the settings app on macOS changed mm. um uh, and a lot of people didn't really like that actually i i didn't really didn't really matter. i think it's fine it's it's, it's fine it's a settings app right it has well, settings it, at the it. end of the day you have um, one side one side you have people saying they want to have a merger between iOS and macOS and then when apple does something like right. that they have a hissy fit you know <laughs> right right sure um yeah you can you I mean, you can't make you can't make everyone happy it's uh, it's uh, it's absolutely true that that is the case. Um, so yeah, I think the I think the hardware and the platforms are all 
doing great at the moment. I, I, uh, I, uh, and in fact, Swift as a language, you know, one thing that has uh, been really interesting to me is starting to get involved in Vapor and server-side Swift, which is what the Swift Package Index is, is uh, mm. written in, um, has really opened my eyes to um, the possibilities of Swift outside of the uh, kind of Apple ecosystem. And that was always something that... that um, uh, that was that was kind of a goal of uh, Swift, and I think actually in the last few months, year or so, that there are some interesting things that are starting to happen um, uh, around that. So um, uh, Swift on Windows is now very much a thing. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know how how closely you've been following this, but um, um, Salim uh, Abdul Rasul um, has been working on Swift for Windows for a very long time now uh, has been absolutely instrumental in in bringing it to the Windows platform. And he now works for the browser company who make the Arc uh, browser. Oh, yeah, Arc, yeah, yeah. And um, what... Yeah, it's actually... So I discovered it through his work on Swift for Windows, um, but it is also now my default... I I was a die-hard Safari user since getting a Mac, um, and this is the only browser that has even managed to tempt me away temporarily, and uh, I've, I've been, it's been my default browser for a good few months now, so you never know, it may have, it may have uh, broken the Safari spell. <laughs> um, and what, what they're doing is they're building the Windows version of Arc in Swift, um, cool. but not using any kind of cross-platform UI framework. They're not trying to port Swift UI to Windows or anything like that. They've made WinRT bindings for Swift, so you're interacting with the real native Windows APIs, uh, mm. but through Swift. And so they're building that browser um, in Swift, and it's a real project and it's real work being done. Uh, and I don't know how close they are to shipping it, but but it's I, I'm confident that they're going to be able to do it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I mean. I, I, I kind of wondered, I was going to ask if, when you mentioned Vapor, because um, I hadn't really heard much about Vapor or, or server-side Swift in, in a while. I mean, it was a, there was a big push on it maybe a few years ago. There was lots of companies mm-hmm. getting behind it, and it's kind of like the news from my perspective has dried, dried up a bit. So you, you think it's, it's growing quite well, doing quite well. So it's, it's a nicely mature framework now, and um, there hasn't been a kind of big headline release for a couple of years we um in fact we we started swift package index in kind of march 2020 and at the time vapor 4 was just in beta it was kind of towards the tail end of vapor 4 beta and we started with that beta and we're still on vapor 4 you know that's still the kind of major version that we're on but there have been an enormous number of improvements to Vapor um, in that time. So at the time, and one of the things that uh, a lot of people found challenging about learning Vapor was that it used, it was fairly uh, tightly integrated with Swift Neo, the uh, Apple-authored networking library. Um, mm, right. And that uses event loop futures to uh, deal with incoming requests and, and kind of processing of concurrent uh, requests over time um and uh, well i'll i'll be <laughs> i'll be quite candid here i really struggle with that i don't really i don't really i never really got it um <laughs> um but over time um vapor has integrated async await and so now we don't need to deal with event loop futures anymore uh, but it's all happened in a fairly backward compatible way so actually there was no point in the development of the Swift package index where we had to say, okay, we're going to have to take all our code and convert it to async await. There's still sections of the Swift package index now that use event loop futures because they were developed back when that was the only way to do it. And we've been able to incrementally upgrade the site into async await and the the difference in the code that you write is is striking. Um, And it's a very much... So if, if your only experience with Vapor was in the time when it was all event loop futures, um, I'd urge people to give another look now because it's uh, it's quite different. But it's all happened without a major version release, and I guess that's when people get excited about something again. Uh, but no, there's real work being done with Vapor. So as a sidebar, I mean, um, I'm curious. As I, I'm, I'm a sort of closeted web developer. I've been doing WordPress and things like that forever, and PHP is my choice of back back end. PHP, mm-hmm. MySQL. So I'm curious. So 
um, how how do you host a vapor site? Like, what are there are there services you can use? How do you have to put your own hardware up there? How do you how do you host a vapor site? Um, so the way that, that, that there are lots of ways to host a vapor site, as you might imagine. Um, but the way that we uh, host it, and I should uh, put a disclaimer on this uh, section. I am talking not from. Uh, so Sven is absolutely the the master of our hosting environment. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm, I'm aware of it, of course. I know how we'll, it works, we'll put a link but, to his uh, socials well, like, on on the on the, the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> please do. Yeah, please do. Um, I was about to say I know how it works, but I I shall amend that to I have a rough idea of how it works. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, we host. Um, uh, kindly supported by uh, uh, Mac Stadium and uh, Microsoft Azure, um, mm. who provide our hosting for the site. Um, and both of those companies have been, uh, neither of them can do enough to help us. They are uh, incredible uh, with their support of open source uh, software. Um, and um, so we host uh, the web servers um, on. Uh, Azure, uh, and we all of our hosting is through Docker. Um, so mm, okay. uh, we run uh, a Docker swarm uh, with the web servers, but also we have a lot of background processing that goes on with the Swift package index. So we have tasks that are pulling down Git repositories and parsing package uh, manifest files. We have another process that's fetching metadata from online sources like GitHub. Um, we have um, uh, several background processes that kind of support the web server so they also run through docker um and then um one of the things that was i think it's the it's the i think it's the best part of the package index is we test every package for compatibility constantly mm. so whenever whenever somebody releases a new version of a package we'll see that new version and we'll run 32 builds across all permutations of platform ios linux mac os vision os even we support these days um and uh with the the most recent four releases of swift so we'll compile with swift 5.7 on ios 5.7 on mac os 5.7 on vision os 5.8 on ios 5 you know on on and on and that build processing and what we what we get from that is compatibility is this package compatible with ios is it compatible with the 5.7 and we display that matrix on every uh, package page but that part of the hosting of the system is is an enormous part of it and that's where mac stadium come in we run our apple platform builds on mac stadium uh, we run our linux builds on azure um so it's a it's a it's a a fairly involved hosting situation because there's lots to it. It's more than just running a web server. But if you're just wanting to run a web server, that is a, an enormous amount less complicated than what we have. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, it sounds like something you built over time. I mean, like, I, I, you know, I'm curious, sort of, a point, from a point of click point of point and click point of view, you like, you know, cPanel is sort of the standard on mm -hmm. on a lot of sites and all that. But I, I do want to ask one question before we get into the fun part of the show, which I want to get to is um, the question is okay. Uh, as if I was, if I had a, a Swift package that I had written and I wanted to publish it, so I, I generally get the idea. I publish it up to GitHub, but how how do people? If somebody was like a neophyte, you know, what's what's the Swift package hosting, getting up on Swift um, package directory? What's the what's the one on one 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 on that? As a, as a former trainer yourself, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so creating a Swift package. Thankfully, it's very easy. There's a command that you can run on the command line that will create you a template for a Swift package. You can then just start writing your code. Once you've done the hard part of writing the code, um, if it's a, if it's in a, a GitHub repository, uh, which most packages that's where they that's where they uh, live, um, taking that Git URL and um, adding it to a JSON file, um, which is in an open source repository on the package index. That's the way that we that we add packages. So um, there's a page on the package index. So on the uh, menu at the top, there's a link to add a package. And if you click on that link, it will explain this to you. But the process, and there's a reason behind this process. It's, it's not the smoothest process in the world, and I'd love to one day make it smoother. Um, but we do want a little bit of um, uh, a record of who added which package. You don't have to add your own packages. You can add 
whoever whoever's packages you choose to. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, um, but we do we do like to tie that action of adding a package into the index to somebody. And so the way that we do that, because there's no signing uh, on the package index site itself, we use a pull request process in an open source repository. So um, we have scripts on GitHub that will automate the opening of the pull request for you. So you do just kind of paste the Git URL in, press a button, and in the behind the scenes a github action runs and it opens a pull request and we approve that pull request and it gets merged in so it's a rather convoluted uh, process at the moment and that's the reason for it is we do we want to kind of just say be able to say this is when this package was added and this is who added it yeah i mean obviously from from a security point of view you know this is why we can't have nice things i like to say um you, you do have to have nice things yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and, um, and, and 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 one day will we add some kind of authentication system onto the site so that we can just have a text box where you can paste a package URL? Probably. Are we there yet? No. All right. So anyway, I want to move on to the, the fun part of the show. So um, I, I sure. like to ask these questions. It's based a little bit on the work of Marcel Proust, the Marcel Proust questionnaire, and a little bit of Stephen Colbert, who hosts a late night show on, in, the UA, in the U.S. here. I'm um, aware so of him, yeah. So yeah, so if you're seated comfortably, we can dive into the questions. So the first question is, is straight up, um, what is your motto? What sort of drives you? Uh, oh, so yeah, I can, I can. Uh, I don't know whether I have a motto. I don't know. I, I have nothing as kind of well prepared as a motto. But throughout my career, the, the the thing that has always been important to me is not to hold on to something too tightly when it's not working. Um, and if that means changing directions sometimes then changing directions is a good thing uh but don't hold on to don't hold on to the the things that are maybe you know deep down inside and are not going or not working or not going to work don't hold on to them too tightly um uh and that's been that's guided me fairly well through my career um and and really lean into the ones that are working so package index is really working um so i'm leaning into it really heavily <laughs> Cool. All right. What's your favorite word? <laughs> I know what other people would say my favorite word is, uh, and that is interesting because I, I answer almost every every question with interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I think other people would say that my favorite word is interesting. <laughs> All right. Cool. What's the best sandwich? The best sandwich. That is that's a trickier question. Um are we including hot sandwiches? Is it, is it totally up to you? Some people choose bagels. Some people <laughs> argue about what a sandwich is. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, yeah. So I, I, think, I think where I would draw the line, if, if we're going to get into definitions of sandwich, where I would draw the line is I think um, some American definition of sandwich would include like burgers and things like that. They're not sandwiches. They're, okay. they're burgers, right? Okay. Um, but but there is a I think there is a distinct hot sandwich um, and I'm a fan of a hot sandwich. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe keep it super simple like ham and cheese panini or something like that. You know something something like that. That would that's pretty good. Yeah. Grilled on the outside. As I don't well, know. Right? I feel like I could. Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I feel like I could, I'm going to kick myself later for not thinking of my actual favorite sandwich. But oh well. Under pressure, what do you do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's your favorite hero of fiction? Pretty good. Pretty good question. Uh, might take a second for that one. Hero of fiction. Um, could be movies, could be books, could be TV shows, could be comic books, anime. I think maybe I'll go with, um, was his name Arthur Dent? Um, oh, yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide. Was <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, because I think he made... A, he made the best of a pretty rough situation, right? <laughs> mm, and and does that go does that go back to uh, my my go with what's working? Um, I think he definitely went with what was working, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay. Went off with that choice. <laughs> so, what's the scariest animal? I, I I don't speak from any experience at all with them, um, but I I th my, I think my I have a I have a little bit of a fear of snakes and i'm not a big fan of actually i'm not really a big fan of reptiles in general if mm. if i'm honest <laughs> uh, spiders don't bother me i think spiders are our friends um mm -hmm. and um uh, and so that i think that would be a lot of people's answers but um 
but I'm not a big fan of snakes. Although I've again, they've done nothing. They've done nothing to hurt me. Um, uh, so it's an irrational fear. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, where would you most like to live? That's an interesting question. So um, I, like I say, I kind of currently live. Um, approximately kind of Manchester area in the UK and I've lived here for a, a long time I grew up uh, a little bit closer to Manchester than I am now but uh, in this area uh, and so I've I've um, uh, I've been based around here for a very long time um, in the last few years I have had a uh, uh, kind of back of my mind thought of um, wanting to try London um, I did think about um, uh, about maybe somewhere else in in Europe, but that got unfortunately a little bit more difficult in the last few years. Um, I think it would still be possible, but it's certainly um, uh, a little more difficult. Um, uh, but I'm I'm thinking of maybe giving London uh, a try, um, and so yeah, I I um, I've, I've it was not somewhere that I wanted to live until quite recently, um, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm I'm curious about it. So, living in the UK, do you get down to London quite often, or um, reasonably? In fact, um, yeah, I've got two trips to London before the end of this year, which is uh, you know, there's only there's only a, about thirty days left before in this year. So, um, uh, so uh, reasonably often, yeah. Uh, I, and I, I I really love it as a city. Is there kind of a natural rivalry between Manchester and London? Like Manchester's a, a, a port city, a port like a boat, boat building place, I think, right? Um, the, it it kind of is a port. It's inland, but there is a, a very famous ship canal that goes all the way to Manchester. It's not uh, an active port anymore because ship canals don't really have very many ships on them these days. Mm. Uh, not the ones that are inland. Um, but it was a it was a I guess a port at one point, um, and um, uh, I don't think there's so much of a rivalry between Manchester and London as there is between the north and the south. Um, so the north Manchester would be considered the north, uh, even though it's only about halfway up um, the the, mm. the UK, um, and um, there is definitely a north south divide in this country. But it's all very light hearted. It's not. Right an actual divide um it's a light-hearted divide right okay cool uh window or aisle oh aisle okay yeah easy answer that one um i i don't really like the window seat because um because i don't like troubling people if i need to get up right (laughs) i would much rather just be able to say all right i need to get up now (laughs) and on long flights i do like to stretch my legs so so it's actually um, kind of funny. I remember. I, I don't remember which year it was, but one of the years that I was traveling across to um, California for WWDC, it's a very long flight from the UK. Um, is, it, is it direct? Twelve hours from, from London. Oh, twelve hours. Okay. Yep. From from London, uh, it, you can get a direct flight. I have to then fly down to London first, so it's a few extra hours on in that whole uh, fiasco. Um, but yeah, you can get direct flights for, from London. Um, um, yeah, so I was on the on the very long flight to San Francisco from uh, from London, and I stood up to stretch my legs, and I went to the back of the plane so that I wasn't in anyone's way, and I just stood stood there, um, and I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I ended up chatting to someone who was also on their way uh, to. Um, San Francisco for WWC because I think it was the flight like two days before the conference started. Right, right? So the right. chances were were reasonable. Um, and then somebody else joined us, and uh, before before I knew it, there were you know four or five of us that were all on our way to WWC who didn't know each other, uh, right. but we all got chatting at the back of seven four seven. And at that point, we did start getting in the um, uh, the flight crew's uh, way because we, it suddenly became a little mini conference at the back of a seven four seven. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I to answer your question <laughs> great a good answer it's interesting like uh, uh, I've, I've spoken a lot about going to conferences I love going to them myself I've been doing it for like even long before iOS um, yeah and I, I've met some really interesting people just around going to WWC or mm-hmm. 360iDev or whatever um, actually we were just well the first about- time we met was was at a WWDC I'm sure um, in fact I think the first time we met was at a James Dempsey um, uh, event right yeah yeah, I was going to ask you. So I, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a conditional breakpoint. Sometimes when he's around, I, and I'm available, I'll play with him. But so, what's your, your connection to James other than the iOS community? 
other than being a fan absolutely um uh so um i think because i think we met before the show started on it was one of the events in san jose i don't remember which year it was um and I had reached out to James and said, if there's anything I can do, I'm more than happy to help. And so I think I did some on the door and I came in a little early and helped set up a little bit, lifting things in from vans and th stuff like right. that. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, James is, is wonderful. Um, and, uh, and obviously all of the breakpoints uh, too. <laughs> Great. Cool. Even the conditional ones. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what number am I thinking of? 27. Oh, you're pretty close. You got one of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of the numbers are correct. Um, what's the most used app on your phone? That's a great question. There's an app for that. Oh, that's the wrong phone. Oh, is there? Yeah, well, you can go into to screen um, time. Oh, I don't have screen time turned on. Um, uh, but I can but I can tell because the if you pull down from the top, you get the, the recently used um, uh, apps. Um, mm. uh, I can see, I can give you a couple of them. The top one is Discord. Uh, Mainly because we use Discord for all communication around the Swift Package Index. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, we have a we have a Discord uh, community there for people who are interested in contributing, and the link to that is on uh, the in the README file of the Swift Package Index project. If you're interested in joining us, um, and uh, then I have uh, New York Times Games because I love um, both the mini crossword and the Wordle every day. Um, uh, the GitHub app is here. Um, yeah. So there's, you've got three for the price of one there. So we post our, our Wordle uh, daily on our, our show um, Slack channel. Um, oh, okay. I'm also doing Connections. Have you looked at Connections app, the Connections game in there? I have. I, I <laughs> Rather embarrassingly, I find it really difficult. Mm, it depends. <laughs> I, have, I have done a few, but that's not made it onto my daily list yet. Mm, okay. I don't do, my wife does a crossword, so I don't do that. Um, let's see. What I really want, actually, if anyone from the New York Times games division is listening, <laughs> what I really want is something in between the mini and the main crossword. I find the main crossword is too time-consuming, and the mini is over in a minute. Um, I'd love a medium. I'd love a medium. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Apple's added podcasts, or sorry, Apple's added crosswords to to their to the news app, I think. if you, I don't know if you've looked at that. Oh, they have? Oh, that's Yeah, yeah, I think it just came up a couple of weeks ago. I, my, like I said, my wife does, she actually gets a physical newspaper and does it with a pencil or a pen, or the pen, actually. Right. Because um, apparently if you do crosswords, you only use a pen. But, uh, um, <laughs> so back to the questions. Um, which living person do you admire the most? That's a really difficult question because there are, there are lots of living people who uh, I admire. You can name a but, few of them if you like. Yeah, to keep things in the context of what we've been talking about today and our industry and that kind of stuff, one person who uh, I really admire is actually Ted Kremenek, who runs the Swift uh, project. So we've had, obviously, some more uh, interactions with, with Ted uh, recently, and uh, he is just absolutely true to his word in everything he says, and completely supportive of, um, uh, of, of just, and really is a is a is leading the swift project um uh, absolutely i mean i obviously only have very limited uh, uh insight into that because i'm not inside apple or anything like that right. but um uh, but i i really he has uh shown himself to be uh just a, an incredibly um uh, uh good leader of of certainly what i see from from outside uh in the swift project and i trust him completely uh with it which is it's, it's lovely to see somebody in a position like that and just have just no questions about about the the fact that they are pushing it always in the right direction uh and i really admire um him from the interactions that we've had and so um you know, obviously, if you if you take a question as broad as that, it can it can be anyone. It could be it could be world leaders. It could be mm -hmm. uh, heads of industries. But 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 I think probably you know a real experience is uh, is 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 also very very valuable there. Uh, and and yeah, Ted's great. Really, uh, really uh, wonderful leader of the Swift project. Cool. And, and I think we have time for one last question, and it, it sometimes can be the, the toughest one. Um, and and it's been changed. James James uh, Thompson had me change the question. Um, okay. <laughs> Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, or Babylon Five? Oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a lot of people uh, angry here. That's the <laughs> I point. think that's the whole point. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> well, I think, in fact, I might make everybody angry uh, because I I don't really have... I don't... None of those really say a lot to me. I remember... I mean, I'd probably go with Star Wars because I have very fond memories from my childhood of going to watch Star Wars, but mm-hmm. it's not something that really stayed with me. Um at Star Trek, I never really, uh, never really got into it. What were the others? Babylon Five. I don't know whether I've ever um, uh, watched I don't it. Think, I don't think I've watched the whole episode myself. Yeah, and Doctor right. Who. Right. So, oh, and Doctor Who, which is made in the UK, of course. Again, I have very fond memories of watching Doctor Who with my dad when I was eight years old, and it was Tom Baker. Yeah, um, he's the right Doctor. Yeah. But I never. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, there, I'm sure there were others, but the only one I really... It was Tom Baker. Tom mm. Baker was was, uh, was wonderful. Um, so very fond memories of Doctor Who from my childhood. But again, when, when it got the reboot a few years... I don't know, probably a long time ago now, right? But, it, yeah, but the recent... There were 13, 14 the Doctors. Reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never, I've never got, got re-engaged with it after that. It was... Doctor Who is a thing from my childhood, and that's, uh, mm. that's about as far as it goes. Where it stays, cool. But I know that's going to be a great disappointment to many people. Well, it's it's an insight into into what makes Dave tick. Um, but yeah, I think I we, we so. should we should wrap up because you got to get going. Um, so, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? So um, I don't really do a lot of social media. Um, uh, I, I do have a site where I do link to. to to the things, the various things that I do, which is DaveVerwood.com, um, and um, and then the other place that you can that you can get me is is actually um, on the Swift Package Index Discord. So um, that's an open Discord; anyone can join. Uh, um, uh, we are there all day, every day, because the Swift Package Index is the majority of what I do on a day to day basis. So, and if people want a weekly catch up with you, they can subscribe to your newsletter too. Of course, um, iosdevweekly.com is the place that you could do that. Yep. Cool, I should right. mention that one. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I, happy to help. <laughs> all right. Well, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and that's where you can find me on the Twitter machine, the Mastodon machine, Blue Sky. What's the other one? Um, threads, Instagram. Threads, yeah. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, I should probably say, you know, hit the like and subscribe button. Uh, we're always, we need to collect as many subscribers as we can. So... Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Thanks for having me, Tim. Bye-bye. Thanks for for being on the show. It was great to have you. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.